Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 16th, 2018, we're continuing our series titled, Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. In today's sermon, The Command to Love, Pastor Thomas Slager will be teaching out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small. I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people to suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but 1 John isn't very lineal in its style. If you kind of walk through something Pauline, like the Paul's epistles and his letters and stuff like that, um, you kind of get this progression of logical thought that happens throughout it, and things are kind of um, taught along the way that add on to each other. With John, it's almost like he does the broken record thing, and he's not going to let us get away from a few subjects. One of those which we learned today is this command to love, that the Christian life should be doused in love. Another command we see is, or a teaching we see is this idea of, we, of knowing that we're saved. It's the assurance of our salvation. I actually want to start there this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go to 1 John chapter 5. Um, if you don't have one, you can download an app real quick or find one under a chair around you. Take that, read it, believe it, do it. I promise you it'll change your life. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13. 1 John 5 13, it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that's believers, I write these to you who believe, that you may know you have eternal life. I write these things to you so that you would know you have eternal life. The big theology word we'd use is assurance of salvation. Um, I write this letter, I write all these teachings to you so you would know that you truly are saved, that you really would know that your relationship with Jesus is legit. That's 1 John chapter 5. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. I want to briefly recap um, what Bob taught last week because it's that same idea we see in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 says this, And by this we, what's that word? Know. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we follow his commands. How do we know we are in the faith? How do we know our love and our relationship with Christ is real? Are we doing what we said? Right, are, we, are we walking the walk? Not just saying the right things, not talking the talk, and not just walking some random walk, but actually walking the things we claim, the things we talk. Verse five and verse six, the end of verse five says this, by this we may know that we are in him. There it is again. How do I know if my faith and my relationship with Jesus is legit? By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do I know I am in Christ? How do I know my faith, my relationship with Jesus is real? Am I obedient? Am I doing what he said? And then secondly, am I following his example and doing the things that Jesus himself did? Last week we saw that if we claim we're in Christ, if we're in the faith, if we're in the light, if we have a relationship with him, it should be shown in our obedience. Now last week we kind of addressed obedience broadly, but this morning we see John narrow his focus to a specific command, an old command and a new command, and it's a command we see displayed in the life of Jesus. So go ahead, let's look. First John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. I'll read it and then pray for us and we'll dive in. 
Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken. And this morning we come before you in humility, trusting that your word is true and authoritative for our life. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. And we ask this morning that you would bring us conviction, that you'd show us where we're doing things wrong. Maybe this morning if we're talking the talk and not walking the walk, if our actions don't display the words that come out of our mouth, God, would you convict us of those things? Spirit, would you open our mind so we can understand the things that are in the scriptures? Would we open our heart to love you, to receive your love, and then also to go out and love the world around us? God, thank you for your love. We know this morning that we are able to love because you first loved us, and we ask that as a result of this morning, we would be more loving people in the world in which you've placed us. And all these things we pray in Christ's precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. First John chapter two, verses seven through 11. If you're one of those people in school who love to get ahead of your teacher and you felt awesome about that, like really, really accomplished, um, go ahead and write love in all three blanks of this morning's outline and you are gonna feel so proud of yourself. Um, for the rest of you who like to stay in step with what's happening, let's start with the first thing. The first thing we see in our text this morning is this thing John calls the old command. The old command and we see that it's to love. We see it in verse seven, the old command to love. Verse seven says this, beloved, that means loved ones. Um, How appropriate that he would approach these people he's teaching to love with the terminology of loved ones. Loved ones, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, when I think old commandments, I automatically go like way, 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 way back to Moses and like 10 commandments Um, Torah or Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, the law, the things we see way, way back when. And I think that's appropriate for us to look at it this way because in 1 John chapter three, remember I said we're having a Bible study this morning, go ahead and go to 1 John chapter three, verse 11. Because John doesn't tell us what the old man command is here in chapter two, but he does tell us in chapter three. 1 John chapter three, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should what? Love one another. There's the command. The the old command is to love. Now, as we look back through the Old Testament, we see two distinct commands to love, not just the command to love one another, but also the command to love God. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. If I up on the screen for you, it says this. You shall love the Lord your God, and I love this. Isn't to say with some of your heart, with some of your soul, with, with some of your might. That would certainly be easier, would it not? Just love God a little bit, and we're good here. That's, that's not what he says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now, I have this tendency in my life to just find out what do the scriptures say and then how do I do it? I just wanna do it. I skip the heart thing, I skip the head thing, and go straight to hands, detach the whole thing. What he says here is um, love the Lord God with all of your heart first. 
We sing that song a thousand times that, that consume me from the inside out, right? It's this idea of what's in our heart eventually happens in our hands. And one of the ways I like to remember this is that God commands me to love him with all of my head, my intellect, my thoughts. God commands me to love him with all of my heart, my feelings, my affections, my emotions. He commands me to lo- love him with, with all of my hands, all of my actions, the things that I do. And that's what God taught his people, the Israelites here in Deuteronomy chapter six, that we would love God with everything that we've got. The second type of love, which John alludes to in 1 John 3.11, we also see in Leviticus 19 verse 18. Remember, old command. It's an old command from the beginning. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is kind of reminiscent of that Matthew chapter seven thing where Jesus gives us the golden rule. You remember the golden rule as a kid? It's treat others as you wish what? To be treated. You guys sound so enthusiastic about it, right? Because it's that difficult. We get it in our head like I understand, yes, I'm supposed to love people the way that I want to be loved. And we teach that to our kids and we help our kids understand it and we try to teach them to practice it and then we become grown-ups and adults and we just teach it to other people but neglect it ourselves. But what he's saying here with love is love your neighbor as yourself. The same way you wish your neighbor, whoever it is next to you or, or in front of you, behind you, whatever, whoever it is around you at any given time, that's your neighbor. The way that you ought to love them is the way you would like them to love you in return. So what's the old command? The old command is love, love people. What's the new command? The new command we see in verse eight, and that too is love. The new commandment, it begins in in, in verse eight. Let's read verse seven again, because there's a funny little thing that, that John does here. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning, the old commandment, is the word that you have heard. Now, is this commandment a new commandment or old commandment? Mm, both. Right, he just said it's an old commandment. Verse eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So it's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. How does this whole thing work out? He doesn't say it's, it's not an old commandment, it's only a new commandment. He doesn't say it's only an old commandment, it's not a new commandment. At the same time, this commandment is old and this commandment is new. I think of it like this. Anyone ever bought a used car? Just like first service, ashamed to raise your hand, right? <laughs> Not me, only new cars in this home, right? Uh, yeah, so it, it, maybe you bought a used car, thank you, with, with yeah, I'm proud of it. Uh, you bought a used car and then someone asked you, hey, is that new? And maybe you responded, it's new to me. Right, is it a new car? Absolutely, it's not. It's not a new car. It's an old hoopty that's gonna break down soon, but it's a new hoopty to me. I like it, it's new. You could look at it the same way with this. It's, it's, it's an old command in, in time-wise, but it's a new command in freshness. And what we see, it's new also because Jesus made this commandment new. He added to this commandment. He took what was there and then emphasized it. He taught it, he exampled it. It was the whole thing. So let's read verse eight in its entirety and then come back to this. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So how is this old command new? Let's look at that. How is this old command new? It's new in three different ways. The first way you see in your outline that it's new in example. This is new in example. Jesus is gonna take an old thing and refresh it, put his own touch on it, renew it, and make it more than it once 
was we're taught in the Old Testament to love God and love people. We, we didn't make that up, by the way. If you're thinking Highlands is a genius for coming up with love God, love people, um, that's just God and that makes us a church. So it's like nothing fancy, it's just what we do. We wanna abide by the commandments God gives us, love God and love people. One of the ways Jesus taught this new an example was from John's gospel in John chapter 13, verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Okay, so listen up. This thing is gonna be new. A new commandment, listen up, that you love one another. Now that in itself isn't new. That's the, the, the Leviticus thing. That's not a new commandment. Love one another. Now here's what makes it new. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We're meant to follow his example. We're meant to do the things that he did. We're not supposed to love the way we think we should love. We're supposed to love the way that Jesus loved. Now we could dig the whole morning and start talking about how did Jesus love his people and therefore how should his people love a people? Let me give you just a few examples. Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says this, for one will scarcely die. That means sometimes. Occasionally this might happen. One would sometimes die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare to even die. Think of it like this. How many of you say, no question, I'd die for my kids? Like in a heartbeat. If it's me or my kids, they're taking me every time. How many of you say with your spouse? If it's, if it's me or my spouse, you're taking me every single time. You're like, depends on the day, right? <laughs> yeah. So ideal situation, right? Where, uh, yeah, we'd say absolutely. You know? now maybe you view your kids as like someone worthy of, of your sacrifice. Maybe you view your spouse as someone worthy of your sacrifice. Maybe it's a best friend and you'd view them worthy of your sacrifice. But in all honesty and realistically, we don't view people like that. Like the, the amount of people that I would willingly give my life for, that I would die for. I know Jesus says no greater love has the man than this than to lay his life down for his friend. And I get that, but, but real talk, the only people I'm dying for is my wife and my kids. And it's done there. And what we see in this is, is yeah, maybe sometimes you, you might die for someone like that. Maybe sometimes you die for a righteous person or die for a good person. Romans 5, verse 8, but God shows his love. Remember, Jesus' love is to be example. The, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So how does God show his love? For us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were righteous. He died for us to make us righteous. He didn't die for us because we were lovely. He died for us so he could make us lovely. He didn't die for us because he thought we were good. He died for us because he was good and he took our place. So how do we too love like Jesus? Romans 5, 7 through 8, we love like Jesus unconditionally. We don't place these parameters on who's worthy of our love and who's not worthy of our love. John chapter four is a perfect illustration of this. Jesus, um, he's going somewhere and, and John 4, 4 says he had to pass through Samaria when in all honesty, what he should have done like everyone else is kind of skirted to the side because um, Jews don't hang out in Samaria. 
Jews were hanging out with Samaritans. Samaritans were these, these half-Jews. They were these racial hybrids that Jews had nothing to do with. Yet he goes and finds this woman, which is the second thing. Rabbis didn't typically um, associate with women in a one-on-one thing like this. Yet still, he sees this half-breed woman that they'd be known as. On top of that, it's not like she's a real clean person. It's not like she's a really holy person who lives this Christ-life like and, and righteousness and holiness. Jesus even asks her the question at one point. He says, hey, grab your husband and bring him here. I want to talk to him. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus knows her heart and knows her life. And what does he say? He says, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five of them. And the one you're with right now, he's not your husband either. So from all cultural circumstances and, 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 all, and societal norms and whatnot, Jesus had no business loving on this woman from Samaria. But what do we see? Jesus' love knows no limits. Jesus' love knows no conditions. Jesus' love knows no bounds. He sees someone and he loves them. We see that this command is new through his example. The second way we see this commandment as being new is we see it new in emphasis, new in emphasis. Matthew chapter 22, 34 uh, through 40, we see the Pharisees once again trying to trap Jesus by asking a question and, and, and then we see his response. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered them together. They gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that's Jesus, a question to test him. Again, trying to trap Jesus into saying something that might not have been true. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, we just covered this. He's going old command. He's going old commandment. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. He goes back to that. And then get this. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So every teaching in the Old Testament, all of the commands, all of the everything, all of it points to these two things, love God and love people. He reemphasizes the old commandment and says, this commandment is it. It's everything. Everything goes to this because if you can figure out love, if you can figure out loving God and loving people, everything else just falls into place. Think of 10 commandments for a moment with me. First command is this, thou shalt have no other gods, what? Before me. No gods before me. Now, if you truly, truly, truly love God, not just with this effectual affection feeling thing, but with action, love that moves, love that goes and does something, love that doesn't just reveal itself in your talk, but love that reveals itself in your walk, if you truly love that God that way, will you ever put something else before him? Absolutely not. That commandment too falls right in place the way it's supposed to. Or think of the 10 commandments about our relationships with people. Commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. If I really, truly, truly love someone, maybe it depends on the day again, uh, if I really, truly love someone and put their needs first, probably not gonna kill them, right? Well, it depends on what kind of day I had at work. Yeah, but you never met my brother. You never met my boss. You never met, hmm, no, see, none of that stuff. When we truly love people the way God commands us to love people, these other commands fall in place. The command to love supersedes all of these and puts them in place. Command number seven, don't commit adultery. 
If I truly love my wife, truly, truly love my wife, not just um, in talk and in speech, but in like action and truth, um, indeed the things I'm actually doing, not just in my talk, but actually in my walk. If I truly, truly love my wife, as Ephesians 5 says, as Christ loved the church, will I ever break our covenant? Will I ever cheat on her? Will I ever want another woman? I, I won't respond to those things. Why? Because I truly, truly, truly love my wife. It falls in to place. Number eight, command number eight, don't steal. If I'm more concerned about the well-being of my friends and my family and my neighbors and the people around me, I won't be as concerned about having their stuff. Number 10, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, his wife, his house, his donkey, his ox. If your neighbors have those things and you live in Rio Verde and carefree, then wonderful. Um, don't steal them because it's wrong. If you truly, truly love them and you're more concerned with their well-being, more concerned with doing what's right to them and for them, then this command falls into place. Love supersedes all of it. This command is new in emphasis. Finally, we see this command is new in exhortation, in teaching. I needed all three of those blanks to start with E, so I went with the big word, exhortation. Just means teaching. It's new in exhortation. Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. We've heard this, this is the Bible. You've loved your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not the Bible, that's culture. If you don't like someone, then emotionally and hate them. Just, just reject them, don't care for them, don't do what's best for them, do what's best for you. Always look out for number one. Right, that's, that's normal human things. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this flips the whole thing on its head. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we say it half joking, like you're supposed to love everyone and we get it, but then we come up with all of these excuses, but you don't know how hard that relationship is. You don't know what she's done to me. You don't know what he's done to me. You don't know my childhood. You don't know my work situation. All the excuses just flood our minds and we quickly flock to those instead to the commands of our Lord. Love your enemies, even the difficult. And then he says this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. What on earth does that mean? Well, um, in human speaking, don't children become like their dad? That's what's supposed to happen here. We too are supposed to become like our heavenly Father. We're supposed to be lovers. He says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Notice this morning when the, when the sun rose and the sun came up, it didn't just shine on Christians. Right? God showed his love to every single person. God showed his grace to every single person. Not just the righteous ones, not just the good ones. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you're a Christian and you have a garden, you're not the only person that God sends rain to. That's not how this works. God loves the good, he loves the evil, he loves the just, he loves the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? someone cares for you deeply and loves you a lot, that's an easy person to love, is it not? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? We're not just called to love people who are easy to love. We're not just called to love the people that love us. We're called to love the enemies. We're called to love the people who hate us. We're called to love the people who persecute us. We're called to love the people who make it really, really, really difficult to love them. There's no out here. The command is love. We see that it's new in exhortation. Verse eight, the second half, 
He says this, he says this new command is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's true in him, in Christ, why? Because he is the perfect model of living out this command he gave, of loving God and loving people, of loving people in example, of loving people above all else in emphasis and loving people in exhortation, not just the nice people but the not nice people, not just the righteous but the unrighteous, not the good but even the evil, he is perfect at doing this. So this command is true in him and he says it's true in us because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Do me a favor and flip a page to the right in your Bible or maybe it's down a little bit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world, this dark system in which we live is passing Away Now, flashback to what we just saw in chapter two, verse eight. This idea of the darkness passing away, just like the darkness is passing away in our world because the light of Christ has shown, it's the same exact thing that's happening in us, in our hearts. Because our hearts too were full of hatred, they were full of darkness. And when we came to the light of the world, Jesus himself, he shone his light into our heart and now the darkness itself is passing away. Away, the, the way Paul puts it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old things are what? Passing away, and new things have come. This command is true in Jesus because Jesus is the example of it, and if you're in Christ, the command is true of you because God is shining his light and his love into your heart so you can do the same unto others. Thirdly, what do we see? We see the way of Jesus, which is love. The way of Jesus, which is love. First John 2, chapter 6, which we covered last week and I mentioned briefly earlier, says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, Jesus isn't into commanding things he's not going to live out. He gives us the command, but then he also gives us the model. He gives us the example. He says, go do this and then watch how I do it and I'll show you how to do it. If we claim that we abide in Christ, then our life should also look like Christ. If we claim we love, then our life should look like love, just like Jesus' life looked like love. Verse nine says this, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Again, this isn't just about talking the talk. You can say the right thing and do the wrong thing and prove that your belief in what you said is wrong. It's not about talking the talk or just walking the walk. It's walking what you talk, specifically here in regard to love. You can't just say you're in the light and then go out and hate people because if you hate people, it says the exact opposite. If you walk in love, you walk in light. If you walk in hate, you walk in darkness. There's no middle ground here. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Just like love is the supreme command, it's the supreme Christian ethic we saw in Matthew 22 where Jesus said all of the prophets, all of the law, everything comes down to this. It all comes down to love. If I truly love my brother, there's no cause for stumbling in that relationship. Why? Because I'm always concerned with doing what's best for him. I'm always concerned with loving them and caring for them. And if I love my brother, it shows that I'm in the light. And if I'm in the light, I'm no longer in the darkness. The light of the world is shining his, his light in my dark, my dark heart, expelling that. And then he's also illuminating the world around me so I can see what God would have me do. 
Verse 11, he says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's almost as if he says, in case you missed it and in case you still don't get that love equals light and hate equals dark, he says, but whoever hates his brother is in the dark. It is that simple. If you hate your brother, you're in the dark, you walk in darkness, and then consequently the darkness has also blinded your eyes. It's this downworld spiral that happens when we choose to not love the people around us but hate. So what do we do with it? Because this is, how many of you would say, like, I get it. I've been learning as a kid I'm supposed to love people. Like, this is nothing new. Congratulations, Thomas. Real profound, right? We know this. The issue is, why don't we do it? In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, blessed are you not just because you know these things. Blessed are you when you do these things. Not blessed are you when you memorize all the scriptures about love. Not blessed are you when you know how Matthew 22 culminates all of the Old Testament law and how everything is hinged upon the supreme ethic of Christian love. He doesn't say that. It's blessed are you when you know them and do them. Let me give you three um, hopefully helpful ways to help us love as we leave this week. The first thing I want to tell tell you is, is the ability to love. Where does that come from? How do we do it? Romans chapter five, verse five says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, when I believe in Jesus, I profess my love for him and believe that apart from him, uh, there's no other way, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. There's no way to the Father except through him. When I believe that he is the salvation of the world, when I believe that he paid the price for the penalty of my sins, which I deserved to, to pay, I receive the Lord and I become a child of God. When I become a child of God, Ephesians 1 says, he places his spirit upon me and seals me into his kingdom and into his family. It's the kingdom of light, which John talks about in his epistle and in his gospel. And when he does that, he gives me the Holy Spirit and he pours his love into me so that I then can go out and do the same unto others. Galatians 5, chapter 22 and 23, it's called the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is what? Love. How many of you feel like, you know what, I know I'm supposed to love, I need help loving people. Please don't say it's me and three other people. Right? We need help. Ask for help. It's the helper. He wants to help you produce love. He wants to help you love those difficult people. Our ability to love comes from God himself, and it's fueled by the Spirit in our life. Secondly is the priority to love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it's up on the screen. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, so if I've got all these awesome spiritual gifts and people are seeing me and saying like, wow, that guy's spiritual. He's got everything going on. He's got like the big gifts that everyone wants to have. He must be a serious, serious, super duper Christian fella. If I have all those things, tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. If you live that life of, of you're doing everything for Jesus and you appear super duper hyper spiritual and maybe even religious, but people look at your life and they don't see love, then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, you're just obnoxious. If your life lacks love, then we've got this whole thing wrong. 
if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I know everything there is to know in the Bible, if someone asks me a question, I can automatically answer it just like that. If I look over at Pinnacle Peak, which is somewhere in that direction, and I say, move, be ye moved by my faith, and the thing just hops up and moves, that would be really awesome. But then if you look at my life and say, hey, Thomas, that was really cool how you moved the mountain. Why are you such a jerk? If I have all of those things, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, okay, if my life truly resembles the life of the early New Testament church, of guys who were giving away everything and were martyred for their faith in Jesus, if my life looks like that, but someone looks at it and says, yeah, but Thomas, you don't love people, I gain nothing. This is everything, everything, love. Thirdly, the result of love. We covered before what happens when we love others that there's not just like this, this, this idea of faith or an idea of a relationship with the Lord, but when I love God's people and when I love God himself, First John says, I will know that I am in the faith. Love helps me know that I'm in the faith. John 13, 34, and 35, it does the same thing but to somebody else. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are truly my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. How do I know I'm in the faith? It's my love for Jesus and my love for Jesus' people. How does the world know that I'm in the faith? Not by my Christian tattoos, not by my sloganized Christianity not by my Christian bumper sticker, not by my Christian clothing, not by the school my kids go to, not by my color, not by my, my speech, not, not by any of that stuff. How does the world know that you are a disciple of Christ? Love. That's it, love. Let me pray for us. God, you are the example of love to us. You don't just leave us hanging. You don't just tell us what to do, but you tell us what to do and then show us how to do it. On top of that, God, you don't leave us by ourselves. You don't just leave us to do this thing on our own. You fill us with the Holy Spirit. You pour your love into our heart and then the Spirit even produces love through us when we fail. God, thank you for the help. We know this thing. We know that we are supposed to be lovers of God and lovers of people. But frankly, God, sometimes we just screw it up. We get it wrong. We don't do it. God, would you help us build our life upon your love? Would that be the foundation of everything we say and everything we do? Would you help us love those around us that they would see us, that they would know we truly are disciples of Christ, that they would see our love for you and our love for your people and that there'd be something attractive about that, God, that we would look different from the world, that against the backdrop of the hate and the darkness of our world, the light shown through our love would shine all the brighter and through our love that people would see your love and the love for them and that they too would come into a right relationship with you. God, bless this time as we respond and worship to you and sing about our love, the love we have for you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Church, this is the word that we have heard. If we say we abide in him, we ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. And the way Jesus walked was a walk of love. May we too as a church go out this week and love somebody. Bless you folks. Bye-bye.